Hi, this is Lekka. I'm Lucy Dearlove. A couple of months ago, I went to meet Leslie Barson and Dee Woods in their kitchen in northwest London. They run Granville Community Kitchen, a food hub initiative based in a community centre on the South Kilburn estate. Through the initiative, they provide food-related training and support for the local community, as well as putting on regular food evenings where guests can pay what they're able to and even take surface food home with them. They've got what's probably viewed as a radical approach towards food and its relationship with community. But I think their arguments for revolution are pretty convincing, and I hope you'll agree. Suki beans and peppers, red peppers, peppers onion, pork, garlic, coconut milk, coconut Um That's for the stew, and then we have rice, salad, and tonight we're having a special treat for those who eat meat. Uh, He's making a marinated pork stew. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, also, can you keep, um, it's Peruvian, isn't it? Not Peru- Cuban. Okay, yeah. no, Peruvian, <laughs> exactly, because huh? I just went to Cuba, so, so we're all Cuban over here. A bit of turmeric. Um, we're making sort of Peruvian-inspired beans. Inspired. Yeah, we are. Very loose. Authentic. Yeah. Oh. Caribbean hot sauce. Ah. Yeah? Special, special. From Dee's dad. So we've got a bit of family, bit of family love in the in the uh, in the pork. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So can you tell me a bit about yourself, Leslie? Maybe you can introduce yourself. Oh, okay. Um, my name's Leslie Barson. Um, I've worked in this building for nearly 25 years, and we started this project. We've got a community centre project with working with young people, and uh, we started this project about nearly three years, years ago. Because D is a wonderful cook but it's more than food it's about community through food so it's all kinds of activities so we have tonight we've got film night and so we have a meal together and then we watch film and discuss it Um, and then uh, we also have a Friday night meal that which is a community meal that's cooked by someone else um, and that's become very very popular where we also have surplus food that people can take which are collected we get it delivered from a wonderful charity called City Harvest and we also collect from two Marks and Spencers, who've been very good to us. And we've also been lucky enough to get a grant. I'm not sure we're allowed to mention yeah, it. We oh, we are. Yeah, oh, we are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> we're allowed we to mention it. Out, we, to okay. Uh, <laughs> evening, dispossessed, evening Standard Dispossessed Award for a big project, a year-long project. So it's for a garden trainer and a cooking trainer. So the idea is that people who are food insecure, and we're working with North Paddington Food Bank, will be able to come here and either bring some food that they, they're a bit bored with or they don't know how to cook it because when you're given stuff, you don't always know what to do with it. Um, so it's, it's a drop-in. So it's very much about what the people who come need. And if they all say, look, we'd really like to know how to make bread or make our own pizzas or whatever, our cooking trainer, i.e. D, <laughs> will be able to help them and you know teach them. And she'll be, she's got at her fingertips you know, knowledge that's that she can give so that you know people can just ask questions immediately and, and get the get an answer for it and also because we think gardening is very important and that the understanding the whole where food comes from is very important so it's not just about what turns up on your plate or what's on the shelves at the supermarket but how it's grown how difficult it is or how easy it is how enjoyable it is how what hard work it is why you need a community um, so, and it's also very therapeutic, and there's a lot of people looking at gardening as a lessons isolation, and it's physically demanding in a way that 
you know, being at home isn't. So it, there's a bit of exercise. It's not tremendous exercise. Um, and so it's, it has a lot of benefits to it. So we feel that that's part of the project of empowering community through food. Great. And what's, yes. your, what's your background? Kind of what, how did you come into this? Have you always been interested in food? Well, I'm interested in food because I eat it <laughs> and I like it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I've never been a great cook, but my friend obviously is a great cook. And it's a great honor, really, to work with her, work alongside her. And I'm learning loads about cooking and about, you know, how to make things really taste good with on very little money. I mean, it's, it's more about spices and understanding what goes with what. But also Dee, which I always say, what I love about Dee, I'm a great history buff, and she's got a knowledge of food and where it comes from and how it's traveled across the world with various, you know, uh, trades that have gone all over the world and understanding that and sometimes you know you have crazy things happening like apparently the oldest rice from west africa is now grown in east america because it was brought over by the slaves and it's it's been lost in africa but it's it's growing in in what is it in uh, georgia or carolinas or something so the most authentic you know this these kind of crazy things that we have in the modern world um, and how many types of rice there are and how, how many varieties we're losing and so on. And Dee's absolutely amazing and has educated me about those sorts of things. So that's, it's a pleasure to work with her. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, right, I might come okay. around and talk to Dee if that's all right. I'm, I'm not going to disturb you too much. Um, can you introduce yourself as well, please? Right, so my name is Dee Woods. I'm the cook at Granville Community Kitchen. Um, I'm also the London Slow Food Ambassador 2016 and BBC Cook of the Year 2016. Hey! How did that come about, the awards? Um, Basically from the work we've been doing here at the Granville Community Kitchen and I think a bit of my political engagement as well because I am involved in the slow food movement food sovereignty movement and with the sort of community food growers network and we've been sort of lobbying yeah the GLA with an organization called Just Space who are a network of grassroots community groups so being sort of really involved in policy and the other direction of things but from the ground up so cooking up a bit of revolution as it were i like it can you tell me what um it sort of explain exactly what the slow food movement is and what the food sovereignty movement is as well okay um there are similarities and they do sort of cross over but slow food is more about the enjoyment of food the preservation of sort of food diverse food cultures um good food for all you know and you know protecting the interests of producers and biodiversity um food sovereignty which began in the global south is sort of producer led sort of movements about workers' rights, um, sort of agroecology, which is about sort of sustainable ways of farming and sort of catching fish and all that sort of stuff. 
And there's something in there about sort of consumers. I don't like the word consumers. We need to change that. We're all eaters. Mm. But, you know, the emphasis is more on farmers and, and producers. And likewise, sort of all the stuff around food policy from sort of international level right down to local level. Mm. But they marry. <laughs> Very, it's, always we, yeah, it's all in, interconnected. And yeah, that's okay. All right. Just checking the size of the pepper, very important. Yeah. All right, and the other sort of aspect that we bring in here at Granville Community Kitchen would be social justice, because a lot of the issues aren't necessarily food issues. They're issues around class and opportunity and poverty and gender and all, all the other sort of isms. So that's a very important issue that we sort of work from yeah definitely i think that's i think that's something that for, people forget kind of how food is a window for all of that um, yeah Even the smallest thing can have the biggest kind of yeah. implication especially when it comes to class or race like yeah it's really really important yeah. so i mean yeah food food is that sort of for people who are into the sort of jargon you know represents that sort of intersectionality yeah and if we look at our food system yeah, no, it's like our modern food system is based on the oppression of others and the destruction of our earth. So we need to change that. And so you're kind of on a really small level here trying to do that? Um, yeah, right, because I think, you know, eating is the most political act that anyone can do, right? And choices of where we buy our food and what type of food we buy is a political act so it is about engaging people breaking on all those jargon words and making people realize that you know you can hold our politicians and you know people in local government accountable yeah and sort of demand that well okay we want access to better food that we want better wages so that we can afford to buy better food Right, so, and now that I've been appointed to the London Food Board, I'm hoping that's one of the areas that we could work on, you know, making sort of good food accessible at a more local level. Right? And ensure that it's also culturally appropriate. Yeah, so it's not always about the anti-fat thing or the anti-sugar thing, you know, it's about creating opportunities, creating sort of community food hubs that include urban agriculture, small marketplaces, opportunities for small food producers yeah, and entrepreneurs. So, yeah. I think that's a really good point about being culturally appropriate because I think it's so easy to alienate people and people just don't think about it. There's so many campaigns like, oh, cut all sugar out. Yeah. But actually, like, if you're trying to feed a family and you don't have much time and you don't have much money, then you can't just cut out those options. Um, um, you can't just cut out those options, but, you know, it just doesn't work. When you have these big anti-things saying, oh, well, reduce all sugar and, you know, you mustn't waste and whatever else. They just do not work. You've got this, every supermarket shelf filled with sugar at cheap prices and, and one pound shops and so on filled with... Mm. And even the food that we get is surplus. A lot of it we won't take. We don't want to give out bunches of 
well-known fizzy drink really people and and uh, sweets. So, for example, in in one of the shops we go to, um, when the bag it, it, the bag fits on a on a metal pole and it's got a little hole in it, and when the when the little paper breaks, it's not out of date. It's perfectly good, but they they throw it away. So we get bags and bags of sugary sweets because the little because, they won't sell them. Be, because it yeah. won't hook on to their display anymore. All right, so you know, so we we don't value food anymore. We value mm. aesthetics. I know it's radio, but there, for example, <laughs> can you see? I'll take the picture. <laughs> so they won't sell that. They won't sell no. that. So they give it to us. Now we won't give it to people because it's, it's sweets. It's like, just I can't believe that. It's not food. It's it's. It's stuff to keep you quiet and stop you from being bored. But actually, it, you know, it sends you up the wall 45 minutes later. Or... A lot of the food waste, yeah, is down to sort of food not being accepted by sort of supermarkets in the first place because it doesn't meet certain standards, you know, so it's a bit wonky or, you know, it just doesn't look right, so... It's just not taken and it's binned. But what that has, the knock-on effect of that is that you have young people who won't eat something because it's wonky, because they've never seen it before and they don't understand it. Oh, yeah, they come in all shapes and sizes and potatoes often have little, little bits sticking off them and so on. And that's fine. Or the, another big issue is the um, dating scheme, yeah. which was started in good faith, um, I think, by governments, but people don't understand. There's four different types of date, which is very confusing. And so people just see a date and it's passed and they think, well, that's no good. But actually, it could be a best buy or a sell by date. So it's actually for supermarkets. It's not, doesn't mean the food is rotten. And, and as Dee says, most food, you can tell if it's rotten. You don't need a date, you know? <laughs> and if it's rotten, if it smells, if it's, if it's, you know, what colour? Black and this Black type pink. of fungus. But most, for example, cheese is fungus. Is something yeah, yogurt. Many, many fruits foods are fermented and they are uh, they have mould on them. But it's good mould and it's good for us, you know. I mean, when I was a child and you, the bread was mouldy, you just pick uh -oh. it off and you ate the bread. But now people go, Oh no. So I really worry that our young people are, are getting very picky, not because of anything, any problem in themselves, but because they're being taught by the supermarkets, by their parents, by the schools, that food has to be a certain date, it has to look a certain way. This is a potato, and anything else you see that varies from that is not a potato. Don't eat it. So that, this is creating a huge sort of culture of, of food waste. And, um, you know, we need to celebrate our diverse food cultures that we have here in yes, the UK. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, and London especially, London is unique in the world. Yeah. I think, you know, right here in Brent, we have, what, almost 400 languages spoken, yes. right? So that's 400 different food cultures yes. right there, absolutely. right? But then you see people, and nothing's wrong with chips, I love chips. All right, but I'd prefer to see someone from that particular culture celebrating their own food before it's lost. Absolutely. So what can we do to get it back? Um, I think 
one of the things we need to do is find sustainable ways of sourcing foods. So, like, we're cooking plantains. It's one of the cheapest foods you can buy at sort of supermarkets now, corner shops, all right? But it can't be sustainable if you're getting three or four for about a pound, all right? How much is the farmer actually getting? All right, so, yeah, no, it's things like that we need to do. But we also need to be growing a lot more things here. So we have this herb on the windowsill. Yeah, it goes by many different names. It comes from the Caribbean, right? Supposedly originated in West Africa, but it grows wild throughout the Caribbean, parts of South America. And it grows perfectly well here. A lot of foods and herbs can be grown here and not imported, yeah? Which would sort of create jobs here and sort of reduce oppression on the other side of the world. What's it called? What, what um, it Cuban oregano in the Southern Caribbean. It's called Big Leaf Thyme. It is in the Ark of Taste, which is a slow food project about sort of rescuing and preserving sort of rare foods and plants and herbs. So um, yeah. we, we use it in most of our cooking. Nice. So. I've never heard of it. I'm going to have to look into that. Yeah. And you may take away oh. a plant if you need to. That's what we do. We, we <laughs> propagate them and we give it away. So you need to sort of take cuttings from it. And, yeah. Great. So, Dee, can you tell me a bit about your background in food? How did you learn to cook? Um, like Leslie, <laughs> um, I love food and I love to eat, but I grew up in a family of food producers, entrepreneurs. My dad is a farmer, so always grew up with around food and making food and sort of big family, big family occasions, we were always cooking. And... That sort of just grew and growing up in Trinidad and Tobago, which is a multicultural society, we had all these wonderful sort of food cultures. And I just took it from there. I just kept cooking and learning more and I'm always learning. And a lot of food that I cook here, I try to reflect the sort of cultures around here. So we've cooked food from Tonga. We're planning a Fiji evening. Yeah, so, and you know, it's like when you cook these things, you realize how similar your cooking techniques are and your ingredients and your flavors. And you know, it's just slight nuances. So for me, you know, food is that great uniter, you know, it brings people together. So how many people are you cooking for tonight? Um, about 20. Yeah, 20. Yeah. And then we've got a lunch tomorrow, which is for the community centre, and that's for about 20, 30 as well. So we're actually cooking for about 40, so that we don't have to do tomorrow. We just do the right. rice. And, yeah, yes. because there's nothing wrong with leftovers. Oh, God, no. Yeah, you yeah, know, it's all these sort of beliefs that people think, I have to cook fresh every day or eat fresh food and eat fresh bread. You yeah, know, we need to move away from all those sort of myths that's also people that's also people not understanding what fresh is mm -hmm. thinking that fresh means it has to be cooked clean every day but fresh is actually not processed so i don't think people understand when they get a brown bread sliced bread they think that's healthy and fresh 
It's not. <laughs> what you mean, what actually fresh should be is not processed. Um, and we can't really get, as Dee was saying, good food without challenging the economic system that we're in. Because we're saying by don't eating, not eating sliced bread, by making your own bread, which is actually incredibly easy mm. and very, very cheap, and you could make your own bread every day. Dee's got a fantastic recipe, which you don't even need to let rise. You just put it in the fridge and you take out a loaf size and put it in the oven and 40 minutes later, you've got a fresh bread. You know, it's like, oh. um, you know, people could learn to do that. I mean, it's a change of their routine, but it doesn't take time as you think. It takes time to change. But once you've understood it and once you've changed over to that, it's easy. And then, you know, your children see you doing that. Your elders see you doing that. It just becomes part of life. Oh, what are you doing? Your bread is delicious. Oh, my goodness, hot bread. You know, it's fantastic. It changes, not by itself, but <laughs> through you changing your yeah. habits, you change other people. It spreads yeah, like a like kind of pebble in the, in the water. <laughs> the butterfly effect. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's exactly. All right, so azuki beans, some garlic and onions, red peppers, yeah, and I think that's, that's another issue yeah. because um, a few weeks ago we had this issue where we weren't getting lettuces and peppers, courgettes, yeah. peppers mm -hmm. as well. Okay. Um, there's an issue now with avocados. Yeah. I think we need to eat sort of seasonally, mm -hmm. as local as possible, and, you know, have sort of fair trade or beyond fair trade agreements to purchase food from other countries. With Brexit happening, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. So a lot of these foods that come from Spain, so we're already getting peppers and strawberries and lots of summer foods, yeah. We're going to have to change our eating habits, yeah. all right? So lots, a lot more kale and cabbages and what they call the hunger gap food. It's amazing how much that, um, like how people reacted to that food shortage. I mean, it wasn't even yeah. a food shortage, it was a few things. Yeah. They were having trouble getting them. And you know, it was like they had to put signs up in the supermarket because people were so, you know, kind of confused and by it. People are so used to being able to get exactly what they want at any time. Yeah. Right, yeah. and we, we can't do that. And most of the world eats, you know, seasonally. Yeah, you eat what is locally available and then occasionally you'll have sort of the imported food. Mm. All right, so we need, we need to change. We really do need to change. I don't, I don't know when we changed away because when I was a child, I mean, it is a little bit ago but not that long ago there was no dinosaurs on the earth we used to eat seed and we only had for example um satsumas or clementine we had them from you know october-ish to december and that was it I, what happened you know now i i don't like eating them in the summer i think well this is weird. <laughs> yeah. look at the history of supermarkets right yeah that convenience of being getting being able to get everything under one roof and at any time of the year, yeah, happen with supermarkets. But it has happened quickly. Really, I mean, it's happened yeah, yeah. within 20, 30 years. It's yeah. not, we're not talking, you know, hundreds of years here. And I feel, I hope, that it could have changed back again mm. as quickly. You know, and, and this idea that we can get, I mean, when you look at your grapes and you see they've come from Chile, you know, which is the other side of the world, and you've bought them for £1.25, 
I mean, the mind boggles. What do yeah. the people get there exactly. getting paid? And then sort of all sort of food fads as well impact on other cultures yes. and communities. Right. Mm-hmm. So like quinoa, right? Yeah. Local people cannot afford to make, to buy it anymore. And that was their staple food. Right? So what happens? They buy foods that their systems aren't used to and they end up with nutrition, transition and all these lifestyle diseases because they start eating rubbish. Yeah, but we can grow quinoa here. There are farmers who are growing it and growing it organically, sort of bigger agriculture waves, sort of with chemicals as well, but we can grow it here. So we need to grow more of it here. We don't use all our land. Right, and we need to be using our land more for farming mm-hmm. and not for putting up sort of posh housing yeah. or keeping it for, for its value, yeah, yes. as an investment. We need to use our land. Yeah. So, are you just making a salad, Leslie? Yes. What have you got in there? Um, we've got lettuce, cucumber, tomatoes, and spring onions. And usually we do, I'm not sure what we're doing tonight, but usually we just do a lemon dressing mm-hmm. and salt. And are we doing anything else in the salad? Um, probably a lime dressing. Lime, because yeah. we're Peruvian. Of course. <laughs> so we're, we're a bit... Um, and then we have rice as well, and... And not quinoa, because we can't afford locally growing quinoa. So everything you buy is ethically sourced? Ethically sourced. We grow some. Um, we're trying to encourage the development of sort of more food food projects in West London, right? You get loads in South London, East London, North London, but they're few and far between in West mm. London. And this Why is, is that? Um, I don't know. And we have a lot of land in West London, mm. especially on the autobars. So that's something we're, we're hoping to be developing more. They were traditionally industry out in the West. Right. And um, that's gradually disappearing, or partially. certainly partially disappearing. Right. There is stone. Because um, in Hillenden and Harrow, that's traditionally farmland. And yeah, right. some of it is actually listed, and the buildings are listed. Yeah, because yeah, they're still carved out in this sort of 18th century yeah. sort of farm farmland right. way. So, yes. but, you know, before we become history from starvation, I think we need to be using some of that land. Yeah. But it's just too valuable to probably do that because that's the trouble, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, Heathrow Airport. Oh, of course. Which is a big issue out <laughs> west, yes. Um, so there used to be lots of market gardens all around where Heathrow is. Yeah. And we were just out there on the weekend and there was an older man telling me that when he was a boy, they were strawberry fields as far as the eye could see. And uh, they, you know, people would worked as, as laborers on the farm and mm-hmm. would be picking strawberries. So he remembers the, the year. So, you know, sort of May, June, July-ish, picking strawberries and then you go into salads. And then, so there was a, you know, a rotation of the year's crops feeding London or some of London, not the whole of London. Because mm-hmm. I think there were pockets like this all over London. Kent obviously was a bread bus or the food basket as well yes here was farmland up until the 1880s which isn't that long ago you know 120 years or so um 
And you can see on the map, we've got maps outside of the growth of the development of housing. And the Queen's Park was actually an agricultural show. That's what saved it. So all the, you know, the cattle were brought up there and horses and things. And so, um, yeah, and you can see that marked on the map. And I'm sure that's, that's why it's stayed a park. Um, but um, out by Heathrow is much more recently was food growing. Um, and there are still, there's still farms out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've taken a walk in this. Um, yeah, small sort of market gardens, but. Yeah. Mm. But very, very small. Yeah. 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 So what's this area like now? Um, the immediate area is called South Kilburn Estate. And it's been regenerated practically constantly since 1959. After the war, and even before the war, it was Victorian slums. Um, so, you know, people came in. This building was built to do good for the poor of Kilburn, for example, by the St. John's Presbyterian Church in St. John's Wood. So there were, this was a poor area, um, and the, the pictures that you see are awful. You know, there, there was real slums. So in, in the 50s, what they decided to do, bless their hearts, was tear it all down, <laughs> for which I can never forgive them, rather than doing it up and making it into nice flats. But never mind, it's all, you know, a lot of, and a lot of the buildings you'll see are from that time, the late 50s, early 60s. And then it's constantly, because it's, um, it's had lots and lots of social problems which were not dealt with, uh, since then it's been, you know, there's a lot of, Low, uh, high unemployment, low educational level, attainment levels, a lot of youth problems, you know, just everything that you would expect in an inner city. Um, and now we're going through a period of intense regeneration, which means that the people who live here are being moved around, the, the older residents, the long-term residents, and their houses are being torn down and twice as many houses are being put back, and the, the, the twice as many again are all luxury flats. So you've got this crazy situation where you've got the, the old council tenants in blocks, mm. and next to them are people who've paid uh, 500,000 for a one-bedroom flat and up. Yeah, so it's crazy. So you have the very needy and the very wealthy, and they don't talk to each other much. and. This building is one of the oldest, well, it's a community centre in the area, and the next door as well, the Carlton Centre, are somewhat under threat as well. I think the council realises they need some community space, but they'd like to build some housing on this site. And we're arguing that if you're putting twice as many people into a very dense, small area of, of London, you need twice as much community space, I think, <laughs> because you need this to work somehow, and people, the people need to meet each other somewhere. So houses are now built. They used to be built. Most of the, the blocks here have, have some kind of tenant hall or community space. They're now built without those. So there's nowhere to meet anybody. There's nowhere to discuss problems. There's nowhere to have a lunch or a, or a supper or a film night to get to know your neighbor so that you, when they make a lot of noise, you think, oh, it's okay because it's only Joan and she needs to shout at certain times or whatever, you know, or that's the lovely little girl, you know. Sure. You know, you need those spaces to understand each other and to develop relationships. Otherwise, you're just, those people over there, yeah, you know, I don't like them, I don't know them, they funny. They eat funny food, they wear funny clothes, whatever, you know. Um, 
So we are in a constant, continual struggle here. Um, we're still here. <laughs> That's the good news. But we, we can't uh, let the guard down. Uh, we're, right. not, we're not safe. Yeah. So um, we're, but Dee and I are determined. Um, we've got very sharp elbows. <laughs> to keep as much community exactly as much community space as possible and um, to keep these centers for the for the community of South Kilburn so in terms of kind of the work that you do do you see any of the new tenants in sort of here coming here to take part in things or is it mostly no it's right. mostly the old tenants yeah um, do we no well, I think we get um, since we started the kitchen we've managed to get a lot of people who've only been in the area probably in the last sort of three years. Yes, but they're not buying in. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not buying they're, in. They're, they're sure. new yeah. council tenants. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. Um, and yeah, well, we, one of the things that I think we're most proud of and um, the Friday night meal is so varied, the people that we're getting. So all classes, cultures, not all, but yeah. varied class, culture, languages, ages, you know, all, lots of isms <laughs> were covering, yeah. you know, where they could sort of think, oh, I'm not going there because it, certain X type of people go there. They're too young or they're too whatever. Um, That's great. Yeah. So, um, so it's, what's your it's, youngest and what's your oldest? Well, our youngest is about three months or something. <laughs> <laughs> and um, our oldest, oldest is... is 84? Uh, yeah. Wow, it's pretty Something big like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so Someone yeah, yeah. who's sort of yes. lived here all her life. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, so Seen she's always telling us yeah. stories yeah. about the area. Yeah. And she said, oh, do you know we used to have a department store? Yeah, and a market and yeah. whatever else. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. There used to be a market in South Kilburn. And we would love to see that come back. Mm. And we have a farmer's market in Queen's Park, which is very, very wealthy. I bet, yeah. And uh, a wonderful produce, but... Inaccessible. Just inaccessible. Yeah. So yeah. we need to bring farmers' markets yeah. back to yes. the people. Yes. So what slow food call earth markets. Right. So that's okay. perhaps what we need here, an, yes, earth, an market. earth market. Yes, absolutely. We can sell your picklies there. Yeah, yeah my pickly. <laughs> and if we get our goats. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, because there's a brilliant pro project in Bristol called Street Goat. And Bristol is highly urbanised, just like London. And what they do, they keep goats for milk to make cheese. And with the young male goats, they use that to manage public land. Huh. And then, right, and then when they're a couple of years old, then they sort of slaughter them and sell them for meat. Yeah. So you know, that's what every yes. community should have some sort of small community farm where they have sort of animals, bees, yep. Yep. you know, yes. chickens for eggs, yep. and yep. yeah. What I've found with so many of the stories I've shared so far in this podcast is that when people talk about their lives in food, it tells as many things about the world around them. And this is no exception, perhaps even the most, most marked example of all. The episode was recorded before the Grenfell Tower disaster happened, which is why it wasn't mentioned in the conversation, but I wanted to mention it now, as it's such a horrendous, visceral embodiment of the discrepancy between rich and poor in London. This gulf has perhaps never been more widely documented than it is now, but we need it to achieve something more tangible than broadsheet headlines. 
Dean Leslie talks about the present and the future on the estate and how many newer residents to the area are moving not to the estate itself but to the luxury flats being built on its outskirts. Granville Community Centre's future is uncertain because, as they mentioned, the council don't appear to have much interest in supporting public community spaces. And you can only assume that they've been offered extremely tempting amounts of cash for the site by the same developers building all around the area. But what Dee and Leslie are doing is vital, and it's made me reflect a lot and think deeply about what I, as a privileged white person not native to where I live in South East London, can do. And not only what I can do, but what I have a responsibility to do too. Thank you so much to Dee and Leslie for allowing me into their kitchen and for taking the time to speak to me. Anyone who lives in the area or thereabouts, I highly recommend attending one of their food nights or supporting what they do in other ways too. You can find more about them and how you can do that at granvillecommunitykitchen.wordpress.com or on Twitter at Grancom Kitchen. As ever, a million thanks go to Lekker's resident illustrator, Ben MacDonald, for the beautiful drawings he's done for this episode. You can admire them on our Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Lekker Podcast. And if you enjoy the podcast, please do tell your friends and rate and review us on iTunes, as it really helps other people find us more easily. Thank you so much for listening.